this, particularly some stories in the book of Acts uh, about, uh, with the hope of being empowered by the Spirit to grow in our witness of, of uh, Jesus as, as King, not only in our own lives, but also as Savior in our own lives, but also as the ruler of the world. And so one of the things is I want to kind of orient you to as we begin to talk about that is whether you're even in here as a believer or not, we are people who constantly share news with each other. Maybe, some, maybe you shared news with somebody this morning already, whether it be a spouse or a friend. And we're people who constantly share stories with one another. And we usually share news and stories that we are meaningful to us. Maybe it's something we read that kind of affects us personally. Maybe it's something we read about the world that changes the way that we see the world. We're constantly telling stories that are meaningful to our personal lives. So we're people who are constantly giving news and telling. We're people who are constantly witnessing. (laughs) And we want to talk particularly today about how the most important news that we can possibly experience and proclaim is the news of Jesus Christ But before we kind of get into that, I want to kind of tell you a little bit about, I want to tell you a story that's kind of been important for me over the years. Uh, As, you know, this time of the year is particularly important for me because I have a lot of, like, family birthdays that occur around uh, this time. My birthday's coming up in a week and a half, just saying. Um, But also, like, it's not only that, but it's also a time when I've had a lot of loved ones pass away. And so there's kind of both and, like, you know, for, like, like Lee just prayed, I really resonated with Lee's prayer for Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day for, for all of you. Um, but I am somebody who celebrates the women in my life who are mothers, my wife and my mother-in-law, but also I've lost my mom and I've lost both grandmothers who were very, very nurturing and caring for me. And particularly, this one story I want to tell you is about uh, my dad's mom. Uh, she passed away about eight years ago to the day, um, and... There were, have you, if you've ever been to a funeral, there, oftentimes your family gets together and maybe you see your distant cousins or your great uncles or whatever and they begin to share stories. Well, this, is what, this occurred about eight years ago when I was at my grandmother's funeral. All the great uncles started sharing stories about my family history. Stories that actually changed the way that I understood my entire family history. And I want to tell you a story about my great-grandfather. So my great-grandfather, his name was Jake Orr. Jake Orr uh, worked in downtown Atlanta. He lived kind of back up in like Gwinnett County and Buford area. A hundred years ago, there was all, it was only farmland. If you drive up there now, it's all developed and whatnot. But my family grew up in the Buford-Lawrenceville area like over a hundred years ago when it was just completely rural. And so Jake Orr would actually, he worked in downtown Atlanta at a, at a shoe company, and um, he was one of the only workers in his factory that owned a car, so he would actually drive down to Atlanta, and a lot of, he would pick up his co-workers on the way to work. Jake was a really big man, kind of unlike me. <laughs> he was a big man. He was the kind of man that could pull leather through shoes for 10 hours a day. He was that kind of guy that just kind of had the, the strength of, of the, the l- pulling leather through shoes 10 hours a day. Um, he was a man who loved his car. He loved his car. Part of the reason he could afford a car during this time was actually gas was being rationed out, tires were being rationed out, and he was given stamps. Because he owned a car, he was given stamps at the time so he could, he could uh, afford gas and 
tires he could use to pay for them. Jake was a real hard worker, my great-grandfather. He actually owned farmland uh, up in the Buford area um, at the time, and it was during the Great Depression, so uh, in case he lost his job, he could have farmland to kind of fall back on uh, to, to provide for his family. Jake also loved to drink alcohol. And he, you know, he would drink, he wouldn't drink a lot, but when he would drink, he would often get drunk. And, you know, I have friends who have talked about what happens when they get drunk. Maybe some friends of mine have, like, drunk texted. You know, have you ever, I've had friends who've gotten drunk and they text me one night. Or I've got friends who get, go on shopping sprees online when they get, they drunk shop. Well, Jake Orr got really drunk one night and he drunk traded his house for a Model T Ford. He loved his cars. And somebody, he got so drunk one night, he decided to trade the house that my grandmother lived in and so that he could get a Model T Ford. This is my great uncle. I, I remember this. He, my great uncle at the funeral was telling me this story. And my mouth must have just dropped wide open. I thought, I never knew this about my family. And he, and he almost to justify it, he said, well, Model Ts were hard to come by back then. I'm like, so what? I mean, he even began to tell like, about how my great-grandmother, he said he remembered her crying in the kitchen the morning after finding out that her house got traded. But here's what happened. What, how this changed my story was that what happened was my, grandfather, my great-grandfather ended up purchasing some other land in Lawrenceville. This would be the land where my grandmother would grow up. And this would be the land where she and her husband would build a house. This was the same land where my dad was born and where he would grow up. And then later on, this is the land area, like just a mile down the road, where I would grow up. And that completely changed the whole way I interpreted the area where I grew up. It completely, that story changed my entire paradigm. Unfortunately, it was after my grandmother had passed away, so I didn't get to hear it from her, her perspective. But that story gave new meaning to the way I saw the property, literally, where my grandmother spent most of her life, where my dad grew up, and where I, where I eventually grew up myself. Have you ever heard a story that changes the way you see a person? Or maybe it changes the way, like me, you see a place. Or maybe it changes the way you see the whole world. We have stories that can have that effect, that are so meaningful, they can change the way we interpret our lives and the world. So we're coming to the text here in Acts chapter 2. The disciples witnessed an event that was literally the turning point of human history. It was literally the turning point. They witnessed a story that changed the way they saw the world. It was the story of Jesus. It was the best news the world had ever heard, had ever known, the news that Jesus is Lord. That's actually what we're going to be looking and digging into is this news, this proclamation, not just that Jesus can be Lord of your own personal life, but that Jesus is Lord of all. He is Lord of all the world. And I want to dig into that, that piece of news about what that can mean for you and for me, but what it can mean for our neighborhood, our city, and for the entire world. So if you look in, um, they began to share that news in Jerusalem, and I want us to look uh, and that news would go out to the rest of the world. I want us to look at Acts chapter 2. Let's look at, this is Peter preaching during Pentecost. 
And I'm, if you can follow along with me, there's some Bibles out there in your, in your chairs. I'm going to start Acts 2, verses 22 through 36. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, and that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make full of gladness, with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see a corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of all that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you have crucified. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Yes, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence here in this place. Thank you for this news, this piece of news that we get to still hear today, the news that changed the world, that Jesus, you rose from the dead. And that that power is at work in our world. Spirit, that you descended down in order that we might be empowered to proclaim the good news. And in order that we might be equipped to be your people. I pray that we would, Jesus, that we would hear your word. Give us eyes to see Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that receive you by faith and rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Death is not final. That was the title of a debate that occurred about a few years back in New York City. There was these these doctors that decided to get together and literally debate this topic. Death is not final. There was one person, one doctor who was for this idea, saying death is not final, and created an argument, a medical argument, saying death is not final. There was another doctor who was against it. This argument, and and made medical arguments, saying death is final, there is nothing beyond death. Death wins. And there was actually an online, I I, I 
I didn't listen to the whole debate, uh, but there was an online poll that declared the argument against life after death, uh, the winner. In other words, death is final, according to this, this debate. Death is final. Death wins in the end. Right? It's not just this debate um, that it kind of feels familiar. It's not just that, like, I need to go listen to this debate to understand the reality of this. This is something that I experience in my everyday life. Is the brokenness of the world, is everything headed to destruction and death? Is death going to really win, or is life going to win? Which one is going to to win in the end? I have this ongoing internal debate. It's not as sophisticated as probably the, uh, the doctors who debated this, but it's the same topic. What is the power of death? What, is the, what, what power does death have? And sometimes, quite honestly, when I look at the world, if I just were to look at the world, the evidence can be kind of overwhelming. Maybe for you too. Some, maybe even for you, if you look, if you open up, I mean, how many of you still get a newspaper? <laughs> you do? Yeah, you do? Okay, good. I, yeah. Peter, I would expect that of you. Uh, for those of you who don't know this, I, and I kind of agree, you get a newspaper delivered to your house, and you open it up. It's kind of weird that we're talking about this, right? And you, the news kind of come, and you open the front page, and the most important news is on the front page. And it's usually what? Bad news, right? And you get the news, and sometimes it's like, oh, man, I just, back at, you know, I still do this, even though, like, I have a bunch of news feeds. It's like, I kind of want to ignore the front page, and I just want to turn to sports or entertainment or something that just kind of tunes me out from all the brokenness and the death of the world, right? Because I don't want to, because if I just simply listen to the news, the newspaper, it's like so, so hard to read and to see all the destruction and all the brokenness in our world. And back in the day, when you used to have a newspaper, what was at the very back? The obituaries. I mean, could it be more depressing? You read through all the news, and then you get to the very back, and my grandmother used to make a joke. Actually, my mom made the same joke. She's like, I read the obituaries every day just to make sure my name's not in there. <laughs> Good joke, right? So, um, but, I mean, it's just bad. Like, it's the news, right? We we read the news, we see the news, but it's not only just the news, it's, it's our it's experience, our own personal experience of the world. You know, I think of even this past week of certain things that I have been experiencing and going through in my own life, and I think, man, is brokenness just going to win? Like, is there going to be just, is death going to win in the end? All the things that could possibly bring me down. Or do you have those things that kind of, in your own life that you look at? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's something that happened with your job. Maybe it's something that happened with your family. Is there something where you just say, man, that could just bring me down? It can just kind of make me depressed. I have that. <laughs> and you have to decide in that moment, how are you going to look at the world is death going to ultimately dominate the way you think and feel and act? Or is there a, a, another piece of news that could really begin to shape the way you interact with the world? And there's so much I, I didn't even mention in regards to just the fact that we had the pandemic, the conflict in Ukraine. There's so many things that could get us down. And even though there's these scientific argument that, the arguments that death reigns and wins in the end, 
that makes me actually lose my breath a little bit when I, when I, when I think about brokenness and death winning. There's something that kind of makes me like fight against that to say, no, I don't believe that. And that's because my body, literally your body was meant to fight for life. It's like scientific evidence. Your body was meant to preserve itself. And so when I, I have a physical reaction sometimes when death begins to creep in or destruction begins to creep on. I have a literal, phys- no, because literally my brain and my body wants to fight against it. And that's the way God has designed us. He's designed us for life. He's designed you and I to live, not to die, to live. Our bodies were built for life, and it's our greatest instinct to fight for it, to fight for life, to fight for well-being. We can feel it in our bodies that we were meant to have life. We love life, and we don't want it to end. I remember I was, had the privilege of some friends of mine in Brooklyn who owned a bar, their friend was dying, and they said, David, would you please come just be with this, our friend John? He's about to die of cancer. And so I spent some time with John. I went to their bar, and we walked around the street. He was on a walker. He was smoking a cigarette. And I still remember, he looked at me. He was about 60 years old at the time, and he was like, David, I don't want to die. I love life. I love life. He ended up dying just a couple days later. I officiated his funeral at the bar. But that stuck to me. It's like it's so true. We love life. We don't want to die. And every bit of our ounce of our being cries out for that. We don't want life to end. And that's what makes the story of Jesus so unique. He is Lord. He reigns over all. And we're going to dig into the text here a little bit to kind of see that. Peter appeals to us in verse 22, if you look with me, when he asks us to remember the power Jesus displayed in his ministry. Peter says, you remember how Jesus performed all those miracles? Remember his ministry? We're not even getting to the point of his death and resurrection. Remember his ministry? Jesus showed that he had power over things like, that led to death. Things like sickness. Things like hunger over storms and natural disaster. Peter's saying, look back at Jesus' ministry. Jesus has the power that all, over all the things that lead to death. And that's what was, the, Peter and the disciples saw Jesus. They witnessed him having that power, showing and displaying that power. But Jesus not only has the power over things that lead to death, look at what Peter says in verse 24. It says, after Jesus was crucified, he stopped breathing and his body turned cold. Literally, Jesus died. Like when Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, when, you know, or, or when, you know his body, just before that, was cold. He was dead. He had died. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. Did you hear that? That's a kind of a strange phrase. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. I love that phrase. It's kind of a little trip. It's easy to get tripped over those, that phrase. Loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Some commentators point out that the language Peter uses actually conjures up the image of a child being born. Anybody have a child recently? 
Yeah? Yes? Congratulations. When you're in the room, when a child is being born, what's the one thing you want to hear? You want to hear the baby cry, right? You want to hear that baby cry because what does that mean? There's life. There's life. And literally, it's this image here of the pangs of pregnancy that literally Jesus is being born into new life. He's breathing a breath of new life. That when God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, it is new life being born into the world. Isn't that amazing? That's what it means. <laughs> That's what it means that the good news of the gospel is the best news in the world. Because it ultimately means that our greatest enemy, death, the things that get you down, the things that get me down, actually have ultimately no power because of this one moment. And that's really what I want you to invite you to lean into. As you experience the world, and as I experience the world, this is, this is something, I'll be honest with you, like, I, I have to continually come back to this. I had to come back to this this week. I'm so glad I was preaching on it. The sermon, you know, it's not really for y'all, it's for me. <laughs> because I need to lean into this. Like, I need to lean into the fact of, like, is new life really going to win? And all the details in which I experience it. Friends, this is good news. Jesus was raised from the dead, and not only was he raised from the dead, but he rules over all creation. It's, that's really important for us to see. It's not just that Jesus was kind of born again, the firstborn of all creation. It's the fact that he was made ruler of all. And there's, I want to get a little technical here. There's, there's two things I kind of want to point out that's happening in this passage there are two big events in the Christian faith as we teach it. There are two, two uh, major theological events that are happening in the context of Acts 2. It happens really fast. So after the resurrection, one big event, we have two events that happen really fast. And Peter alludes to both of them in verse 33, so you can jump ahead to verse 33. We'll come back in a second. So Christ has ascended to be with the Father where he is exalted at the right hand. So one of the things that we celebrate is that Christ has ascended. And it kind of we associate that with that he rules over all creation. He's at the right hand of the Father. It indicates that he is the king of all. He rules over all creation. And second, the same spirit, Pentecost, the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, that same power, that same spirit was poured out in Jerusalem and is at work bringing new life to the world. And it was that series of events, the Ascension and Pentecost, Jesus' resurrection and ascension, and the Spirit being poured out, that was the turning point of history. That was why we can actually meet here today, and you can come from wherever you come from, from whatever struggle you have, and you can really believe that there is good news that is real, we can sit here and proclaim it with confidence because it is real. There were witnesses who saw it and who proclaimed it over the years through church history so that we can take hold of it and so that you can experience it in your personal life and so that we can go out and apply it to the world. Death has died and life was born and it has been growing in the world ever since. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that death has died and new life is growing in the world right now? I'm asking myself that question this week. (laughs) Do I believe that? Whatever you're facing, whatever you're looking at in your, in your personal circumstance, do you believe that? Can you, can you take hold of that right now and apply that? The Spirit is at work bringing the kingdom of God, the kingdom of life, to bear in our world. And one of the primary ways that the kingdom is brought into our world is through the announcement of it. It's through the announcement of it by the church. It is vital. It is a vital part of the good news. And what this means is that, you know, one of the things that we, we're kind of, I want us to really dig into and for you to think about is that the good news, and I wrote about this a couple weeks ago in the e-newsletter, um, the good news is not just personal for you. It is personal in that Jesus is your own personal Lord and Savior, but it's also pervasive. The good news is for the entire world. We, we said it just a, a, a moment ago when we professed our faith. Colossians 1, Paul says that Jesus Christ is reconciling all things to himself. He says it again in Ephesians chapter 1. That, G, that, that God, God wants to reconcile all things in heaven and earth unto himself. What does that mean? What does that mean? That God wants to do that. So just the story of my great-grandfather, Jake Orr, changed the way that I saw my grandmother and her home. And it's a story that I'm going to tell again and again. I'm telling it to you now. It's a story I'm going to tell again. I'm going to share, with, I'm going to share it with my kids. I have shared it with my kids. I'm going to share it, with my, I'm sharing it with my friends. But it's a story that changes the way that I see the past and brings me comfort as I, as I grieve the death, not only of my grandmother, but of my other family members. But the story of Jesus being raised from the dead, that changed the way the disciples not only saw the past, right, my story of my great-grandfather really changed the way I saw the past and kind of how I saw the present. But what the verses in verses 25 through 31, it actually changes the way that we see the future. Right? This story changes the way that we not only see currently, but the way that we understand the future. And it really gave them hope for new life, real hope for new life that was to come. I'm going, to look at, I'm going to get a little technical here again. Verse, uh, look at me at verses 25 through 31. Peter shows us that the story changed the way David, the prophet, or the king, king David, saw the future. And in that time, the story was still in seed form. Right? You know the Old Testament and kind of the way, way I think, most helpful way I think about the Old Testament. All the things you're, you're reading about in the Old Testament is just in seed form. And then it grows and it grows and it grows. You know, and, and then it grows into this big oak tree, if you will, in the New Testament. Where it's, it's the same essence. The Old Testament and the New Testament, it's the same essence. That's why Peter can preach about it and say what David believed is happening right now before your eyes. This is what 25, verses 25 through 31 is all about. It was a promise that God would put one of his descendants on the throne. On the throne. And his kingdom would last forever. I love that picture that we get in the covenant with David that this kingdom is not just temporary, it's going to last forever. And David believed it back hundreds of years before and looked forward to it coming to fruition. 
David knew that it would not, God would not abandon him to death because he would not let his Holy One, his son Jesus, the descendant of David, God would not let his, him see corruption. He wouldn't let Jesus see corruption. But look at verse 34. David even believed that his promised descendant would ascend to rule over the right hand of the Father. So really, ultimately, what we're hearing is Peter wants to interpret our world, to interpret both present and future, through the good news. He's, this is what we're seeing. The sermon that he's preaching is showing us how to interpret the world, all that we experience, all that the world experiences, through the good news of the gospel. Let's look at 30, verse 36. He tells us that we can know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. All the bad news that we read about, all the brokenness in the world that we see, he wants to redeem all of it. That's what, that's what Paul says. He wants to redeem all of the things. And he is at work redeeming it now by the power of his Spirit. And that's like, I wanted to title this sermon, The Gospel Changes Everything. Because if we really believe that Jesus is Lord of all, that he is the true Messiah, what does that mean for the world? That's a question that we have to engage with as believers. What does that mean? For you to be able to, every time you, whatever you experience personally, whatever you read about in the news, in the world, that you can actually interpret that. You have an interpretive framework. You can say, Jesus is Lord of all. And you can pray that God would redeem. That's exactly why we have the prayers of the people. Because we're praying, we're naming the, the events of the world, and we're asking God to redeem, to bring his redemption to bring his justice the good news of the gospel changes everything it changes the way we see and interpret the world it changes the way we talk about the world because we can tell the story that jesus is lord when when the good news of the gospel permeates kind of the way in which we understand ourselves and the world around us we're, we can't help but to talk about it that's the way we're designed so I want to give you, just kind of end here with two applications, two applications that are, that are actually in the text here that uh, as we think about telling the story, because a, a, a lot of you probably are in here and you feel maybe ill-equipped. Well, who am I? I don't understand. I don't really even understand that Jesus is Lord of all. Who am I to, to be able to witness um, to the good news of the gospel? So the first application is this. Well, the, first, the, you know, the gospel changes everything, and the application is anybody can tell the story. Look who's telling the story, who's preaching the sermon. Peter. Peter, the one who doubted Jesus. The one who doubted that Jesus had power over creation, right? When he called out, when he called Jesus, when Jesus called him to walk on the water. He's the one who not only doubted Jesus, he's the one who rebuked Jesus, when he explained that he was going to die on the cross and be raised on the third day. And then he actually denied Jesus three times. He doubted him, he rebuked him, he denied him. <laughs> and here he is, preaching the good news of the gospel. And he didn't have much education. He was a fisherman. He didn't, ha he didn't have all of his theological points in line. He didn't have to, to know it all. He, he saw it. He experienced it. And so therefore he could tell it. So therefore, anybody who experiences the good news of the gospel can tell it. 
No matter even, no matter who you are. And that's what I want to kind of break down those barriers because I think so many of us we feel like we've got to have it all together. But the only, the only prerequisite is that you experience the story of Jesus yourself. And the second point is, so anybody can tell the story. The second application is this. The story can change anybody. Do you remember who this Peter is preaching to? He's the very first line. Men of Israel. He's preaching to the men of Israel. Verse 23. The people who crucified Jesus. These are the people who literally crucified Jesus. How would you like that on your resume? Crucified Jesus. But the story can change them too. Putting the, you know, they put the Lord of glory um, to the death. Look, look at verse 37. Even the ones who crucified him were cut to the heart. I find that to be mind-blowing. That even the ones who actually literally put Jesus to death or that are now hearing the good news, they witnessed Jesus. They put him to death. They were cut to the heart when they heard Peter announce the good news. So I think that has a couple applications for us. Maybe some of you in here, like, have come back to church for the first time, and you're thinking, yeah, I, I, I'm just here, but I can't really be changed. Some of us in here believe that about ourselves. Like, maybe we're so, we've gone too far away, uh, too far so that we can't be changed. That's not true. I'm here to tell you the gospel has the power to bring anybody back to the Father. The story of the gospel can change anybody. And, or maybe for you, you're thinking of people right now <laughs> who they're like, oh, they're too far gone. They're just so hard-hearted. They're just so, they just seem like they will never listen. The story of the gospel can change anybody. That's, the good news of the gospel is so powerful. It changes everything. Anybody can tell it, and it can change anybody. I think we're all the same here. We love to tell stories, these stories that affect our lives, right? The news that, that, we, ha that we experience every day. And what I'm truly trying to push on here is to say, tell your stories and tell, your, tell the news with the framework that Jesus is Lord of all. That Jesus is at work redeeming his world. Lean into that for your own self and begin to talk about it. That's how we grow in our witness. It starts with how you see the world. And if you believe and you continue to grow in your belief that Jesus is Lord of all, that he is the king of all creation, that he sits at the right hand, and he's coming back to renew all things, if you believe that, that will change the way you talk about the world and the way you talk about your own story. So friends, let's be witnesses. Let's be people who believe the story, the good news of the gospel, and who tell that story to the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your good news of the gospel, that you are Lord of all. I pray that you would help us to believe that, especially as we are so beat down by the brokenness and the pain and the hurt that we often experience in your world, both personally and globally. Lord, I pray that we would believe and proclaim that you are Lord of all and that you have power over death and that we would have eyes to see that new life, Spirit, that you are bringing new life even in our midst, that you, Jesus, are at work in the most unexpected places 
in the most unlikely times, bringing about redemption. Give us eyes to see that. And let us be people who proclaim this good news, that you are Lord of all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come now to a time in our service where we're going to take up our offering. It's a time for...